0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening to everyone listening, and welcome to season one, episode 15 of the Well Read Podcast. Happy New Year! For those of you who are new here, welcome. I am your host, Megan Bierke, aka The Real Bookish Writer. I am a reader, writer, bookseller, book festival goer, and I am and always have been obsessed with genre fiction. There are two segments. The first consists of book reviews for those that I've read in the past week, and the second, consists of a new author interview, or in today's case, two. But before we get to that, let's talk about books. The first book I read was the last book I read in 2023, and was a reread of Ana Maria and the Fox by Liana De La Rosa. A forbidden love between a Mexican heiress and a shrewd British politician makes for a tantalizing Victorian season. Ana Maria Luna Valdez has strived to be the perfect daughter, the perfect niece, and the perfect representative of the powerful Luna family. So when Anna Maria is secretly sent to London with her sisters to seek refuge from the French occupation of Mexico, she experiences her first taste of freedom far from the judgmental eyes of her domineering father. If only she could ignore the piercing look she receives across ballroom floors from the austere Mr. Fox. Gideon Fox elevated himself from the London gutters by chasing his burning desire for more. More opportunities, more choices for everyone. Now, as a member of parliament, Gideon is on the cusp of securing the votes he needs to put forth a measure to abolish the Atlantic slave trade once and for all, a cause that is close to his heart as the, the grandson of a formerly enslaved woman. The tremblingly vexing Ana Maria is a distraction he must ignore, though. But when Ana Maria finds herself in the crosshairs of a nefarious nobleman with his own political agenda, Gideon knows he must offer his hand as protection. But will this Mexican heiress win his heart as well? This book is smart and sexy and a wonderful historical romance. It has great nuanced discussions of diversity, class, human rights, slavery, and politics. The slow burn between Anna Maria and Gideon is very well done also, and respectful if that makes sense. I also loved the relationship between the three sisters and the second book, Isabel and the Rogue, is out later this year. The second book I read was the second year single by Kara Tanamachi. Freelance writer Sora Reed believes in inertia. She's the odd one out in a close-knit family of go-getters, including her Japanese-American mom, who hints about her need to lose weight, and her soon-to-be-married, overachieving younger sister, who needs to have a date for the wedding, since wedding party couples dance with their Scottish great-uncle Bob simply won't do. For Sora, minimal input, minimal expectations is the way to go. She'd rather stay at home with her insufferable neighbor and her adorable pitbull. One thing that disrupts her inertia, though, is an intense dislike for Valentine's Day. What is it with the commercial love machine? Why do we pin our hopes on one romantic day when staying home with a package of bacon and a bottle of tequila would be way better? Sora's been betrayed and disappointed more than once, and her heart is starting to feel like her grandma Mitsui's antique Japanese ceramic bowl, with its many gold-filled cracks. When her pledge to stay single in February inspires readers to hashtag solo, Sora has a responsibility to empower her readers. But relationships aren't built to last, so it shouldn't be that hard, right? Enter Jack Mann, a muscle-bound baker who looks like he lifts logs on the weekends. Sora hasn't thought of Jack since they were in elementary school together. When they see each other at the local grocery store and the attraction hits hard, Sora knows she has to shut it down, quick. She can't hashtag go solo and get the guy. She can't let down her readers, and relationships always end, so why should Jack be any different, even though he's confounding all her long-held expectations of love? If you want a fun childhood crush to strangers to lovers romance just in time for Valentine's Day, this one is for you. The main love interest is supportive, sexy, and incredibly kind, and he helps bring Sora out of her shell during a month she's sworn off men. By the end of the book, she's confident in herself and what she wants out of life, and I loved seeing her journey into a strong and passionate woman. The third book I read was a manuscript of my writing and critique partners that I cannot talk about, at least not yet but it is fantastic and I can't wait for it to be on shelves one day. The last book, however, I was not a fan of, so I will not be giving a review of that one. For those of you who haven't been here before, I will never give a bad review on here. Reading is subjective. A book I love, you might hate. A book I hate, you might love. I also know how much passion and how much of a person goes into writing a book, so you will never hear me downplay or discredit someone else's incredible accomplishment of finishing a manuscript. Now that book reviews are done, let's jump into our first interview. My first guest today is the New York Times and internationally bestselling author of the Blood Air Trilogy and Song of Silver Flame Like Night, which was a New York Times bestseller and the Barnes & Noble YA Book Club pick for last January. Its sequel, Dark Star Burning Ash Falls White, was released this past week, and the duology itself is a riveting young adult fantasy world inspired by the mythology and folklore of ancient China. Originally born in Paris before moving to Beijing, she attended college in New York City where she currently resides. Please welcome Amelie Wenzhou. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so freaking excited to talk to you. I've been a fan of your books for many years, and especially as a bookseller with a uh, Song of Silver Flame Like Night being a my book club pick last year. I'm all about that series. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to talk with you.
1: Thank you. And likewise, I am so excited to be here chatting with you, all things bookish and
0: fantasy and romance. Yes, which that's my crux, fantasy and romance. I got to have those together. So let's just start off with the question. I like to start with all my interviews. Why did you want to become a writer and how did it kind of happen? So...
1: I never honestly planned to become a writer um I don't know if a lot of people did but I think you're just kind of a lot of people are just born with the innate sense and love for story whether it's reading them or you know writing them or telling them um and so I just remember at a very young age um I was already telling stories to like my little stuffed animals as a child and then growing up like Um, I learned English by reading the Harry Potter books um, and I would write like I would try to imitate and write um, little stories of my own gradually Um, but uh, so I grew up in China and then um, came to the U.S. for college and I had always planned another a whole other career track in finance Um, so that's what happened Um, and then essentially after I started working I realized that I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, it wasn't school anymore. You know, you don't have to do extra studying or, you know, um, uh, extracurricular activities. So I put that time into writing a book because I'd always just loved it and I'd been writing on the side. Um, but I'd never finished like a complete complete book and gave it a true shot um and so I started writing a book and I wrote and revised it for three years and um and then I queried for an agent and um the rest is the rest is I guess history
0: what out of all the genres that you could write why did you choose young adult and why did you choose fantasy
1: I think for me I had um grown up reading a lot of young adults, at least in English, um, those were the books that, you know, made their way over to us um, in Beijing. So it was, you know, um, Cassandra Clare um, and then Leigh Bardugo, et cetera. So it came very naturally um, and instinctively. Um, and I was pretty much a young adult when I started writing uh, these books. So finding the voice and, you know, the kind of heart and the interests of young adults um, felt very natural to me. As for fantasy, I think it's also the same. I grew up on a diet of both um Western fantasy as well as Chinese fantasy. Um, I grew up um, watching like uh Xianxia shows uh with my family. So, I think just a lot of us in just this generation, you know, we're raised by like Aragon, Harry Potter, Chris Jackson. Um, and it just felt very natural to gravitate towards that, and I just felt like you know, real life already exists as it is. And I wanted to write some magic into it.
0: Well, you do write, I will say, very rich and very beautiful worlds. They're very enchanting. Thank you. And they're just, they're beautiful. Like, I don't know how else to say it. They're just very (laughs) beautiful. Like the writing itself, the worlds, the characters, you know, especially in Song of Silver Flame, Like Night and Dark Star Burning, Ash Falls White. How did you come up with those ideas especially because your first trilogy was kind of inspired by Anastasia correct yeah exactly Um, so how did how did you move from that to something inspired by Chinese mythology and folklore and how did this kind of story come to be
1: yeah I always feel like um, the books that we write are kind of reflective of always reflective of us at the time they're like little time capsules that kind of encapsulate you know the person we were at the time and the person we are um, so when I started writing my first trilogy the Butter series I had just um, moved to the U.S. and started life here and having grown up outside of kind of the western hemisphere of things you're always kind of looking towards it and thinking you know what's going on in that world like you're always wanting to look to the other side um, and now having moved to the U.S. I found myself looking back at um, my home country um, and really missing it and missing my um, home culture and my family so moving towards Chinese mythology and folklore just felt very natural to me um, because it was just an amalgamation of things that I grew up with um, the stories that I listened to as just a very young child um, that were kind of ingrained in me Um, and so that was the inspiration for Song of Silver Flame Like Night it was just honestly being kind of homesick. Um, This one was a pandemic book and I wasn't really able to go back home to China because everything was under lockdown. And so I thought, you know, why not just write it into a
0: story? Well, it really is. Like I said, it's just, it's a beautiful, incredible world that you have created and dealing with and confronting past trauma and just secrets in general is important in both Lan and Zen's journey in this series. Uh, Why did you choose to make this such a big, and it's honestly a very incredible journey for both of them, you know, why did you choose to make this a theme throughout the books, especially with it being a young adult series?
1: Yeah, I think that um, it comes from a lot of the living histories that a lot of people around the world, you know, are born into or um, it's passed down to, right? So for me, um, growing up, I'd heard stories from my grandma in particular um, about the wars and the invasions that she had survived and all of the polit- political turmoil um, that she grew up with as a child. I Like, I distinctly remember we would go visit her in Beijing and sit under her old um, hawthorn tree and listen to her stories. And then we'd look at, she lived in this old, like, courtyard house um, that that was, like, passed down from her parents and there were so many you know little trinkets and little like pieces of history that I would find one thing that I noticed in particular was that she loved to um wrap all her things in little bundles of cloth and we had always kind of made fun of that but it wasn't until I was much older that it, my mom told me it was because she grew up fleeing like invasion and occupation and she would always be wow. sure when you know they would have to run again so they kept all their belongings and all their most precious items bundled up bundled up sorry in little in little cloth bags Um, and so like these little pieces of history and facts just kind of filter down to you and you realize you know this is a living history like it's it's my grandma it's not it's not as far off as like the history books uh, and the textbooks say so i thought it was important to recognize that um in these books
0: that's such a cool way to honor her, bringing that and incorporating that into your stories, especially because, like you said, in a lot of the time, you know, we read these history books and we read about this stuff, and it's like, oh, that was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Like that doesn't apply to us. That doesn't apply to anyone we know. When reality is, it hits a lot closer to home than we might care to admit. That's definitely that's that's an incredible way to honor her. That's cool, and it gives the story such, I think, a deeper meaning too. I don't know, that's really cool that you brought that in. Because Dark Star Burning and Ash Falls White is a sequel, Um, what can the readers kind of expect from this book? Because some very exciting things happen. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but, (laughs) and I want them to hear it from you, so what can they kind of expect?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I had so much fun. First of all, playing with expanding the world. Um, I'm such a lover of you know different fantasy worlds and beautiful settings and descriptions, um, and I think that filters through in my own writing. So being able to weave even more magic into the worlds and. Um, exp- or the different landscapes that um, my home offers was just an incredible experience um, as well I always compare um, the Song of the Last Kingdom duology to uh, Ying Young kind of uh, duology and the character arcs that we started in Song of Silver, Flame Like Night you know the explorations into the line between good and bad the line of you know, power versus corruption, I think those come to full head in Dark Star Burning, Ash Falls White. And as well, there was a lot of, it was just so much fun playing with the romance and writing either, you know, angst and and enemies to lovers and all of that into it. So the romance is definitely fun as well.
0: So I do want to ask because romance I have to have romance in my fantasy books if there's no romance I can't get into it and I don't for whatever reason I don't find it very interesting just because that's you know even when I was younger obviously the romance was vastly different than the romance I read now but that romance was always there so do you are you like a romance reader do you read that stuff in your day-to-day life or are you just that good at writing romance into your fantasy books
1: I love romance, and I find that I'm more and more drawn towards it. Um, it's just there's like a universe, universal quality to like love and exploring the different kinds of love that I think is just so fascinating. Um, for me, when I think of romance, um, I really wanted to play with the different tropes and the types of storytelling. Um, that I think Chinese um stories and books could bring. I know that with Western uh, romances it's it's much more forward and much more, I feel like more out there. Whereas in in Chinese tropes, um something that we love is called an or like I guess it translates to like dark love and darkness, which is you don't you don't like confess, you don't, you know, immediately kiss or hug or anything. You just it's a long, long burn. And sometimes you can go like So many years without even saying it, but you're in love with that person and you show it through the actions. So it's much more, it feels much more subtle to me. So I really wanted to play with that trope in this series and bring it into the storytelling and the romance between the two main
0: characters. So that was, I thought it was so much fun and fascinating to write. It was. And I will say, I'm not normally a fan of like the slower burns because, and it's not that I'm not a fan I just get anxious because I want them. I want something to happen. Be
1: together.
0: Yes. <laughs> I want them to be together. Exactly. But you do the tension and not pining. Pining is not the right word, but I guess tension, like just back and forth between them so well. And then at the end of the first book, you know, stuff kind of blows up in their faces and then they have to go on this journey in the second book. And it's just, it's written so freaking well. I will Thank say you. it's just it's written so well but I do want to ask what is your favorite romance book since you're a romance oh reader because gosh. I also love romance I'm a huge romance um, reader
1: okay I mean recently there are so many um recently um gosh it's it's gonna be a Chinese one that I've loved it's called Chang Xiang Su. I loved Divine Rivals I think that's gonna be a really popular one this year um it was just so breathtakingly written um, and just the tension and it was, it just felt so different and magical and just so like wistfully romantic.
0: It, it is. And the sequel I think is coming out this month or next month Yeah, when, when we're this recording this. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's a good series. It's a fantastic series. Now with that, creating this beautiful world that you've done. And then you having the trilogy, the blood air trilogy before, and you said um, these two books, it's a duology, correct? That's right. Has there been a difference in crafting the duology after crafting a trilogy? And is there one that you prefer over the other? Ooh, I love this question. Um,
1: Definitely. I feel like with, I feel like right now I'm in the, I'm a fan of duology phase. It's just so much easier to plot. It is quicker to write. And I think it depends on the story, really. The Song of the Last Kingdom story just was always going to be a duology in my mind, like keeping with the yin yang kind of trope or um, theme. Um, I think a duology fits the story um, more so than a trilogy. So I'm in my duology phase. but
0: wouldn't be opposed to writing a trilogy in the future if it suits the story i like that that you let the story kind of decide cuz i feel like there's a lot of people or just you know the publishing industry in general where they will try and force something into a trilogy because it's more books
2: right
0: but it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fit the story and a lot of the times it's actually in detriment to the story i feel like not in blood air, not in blood air, that's not what I'm talking (laughs) about, but, (laughs) but, I I absolutely feel like
1: the, it really depends a lot also on external factors, right, a lot of publishing, you know, authors can't control, um, and it really depends, but, um, I think in terms of read, just as a reader as well, I am a, fan of duology right now just because it's it's like quicker um
0: and I can just read more books and see more worlds in that way. But also <laughs> get the conclusion and that, you know, okay, everything yeah. everything has come together. I don't have to wait a whole other year <laughs> to figure out what's gonna happen to these guys. Exactly. So now you you just you in general and your books have had some incredible accolades. You've been a New York Times bestselling author. You know, Song of Silver Flame Like Night was a Barnes and Noble YA Book Club pick, like I mentioned earlier. So, what has been the most memorable moment from your career so far? Because it's different for everyone. And I really like asking this question.
1: Wow. Um, oh, yeah, there have been so many incredible moments. And I honestly just feel so lucky to be able to do this. Um, like I was revising this morning and I was like, wow, I, I get to do this as a job. Um, and I get to bring stories from my mind into you know words on paper and into readers' hands. Um, so just feeling incredibly, incredibly blessed by the journey. Um definitely I think the when the song when I got the news that song of silver flame like night would be the Barnes and Noble white book club pick, it, it was very memorable because I was literally Um, On my honeymoon in the Scottish Highlands, I was, like, hiking up this thing called the Fairy Trail, um, which is just a magical little, like, waterfall in between all these, like, moors and mountains and rolling hills. And I remember I was being stung by these Scottish mosquitoes called midges, and I was, like, having, like, an okay kind of day, depending, but I got the email Um, And my agent had texted me. He was like, there's some incredible news for for Song of Silver. And I checked and I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, It was just, it was great news. It's always, you know, even as a a more established author with a couple series, you never know what's going to happen with your next book. So just, you know,
0: receiving good news like that, it's, it's, it just goes well and it feels good. Uh, You were born in Paris and then you were raised in China before you came to the U.S. So I know that you said, you know, once you moved over here, you were really missing home and that kind of influenced your decision um, to write this kind of book about Chinese mythology and folklore. How has you living in different countries, though, influenced like the writing itself?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. I think uh, definitely my... So I moved back to China when I was really young, when I was five years old. So I honestly don't have that many that many memories of um, Paris and France. Um, and most of the influence is gonna be um, growing up in China and reading books and consuming um, the stories from there. I think definitely one of the things I always try to play with is experimenting with different storytelling techniques and tropes um, from a whole other culture and a whole other kind of hemisphere, and then seeing what I can bring in successfully to this side of the world and stories written in another language um, for me. So um, like with the romance in Song of Silver, Flame Like Night, I wanted to just see, you know, if there's another way to tell this and if I can bring in tropes um, that I've loved from my childhood.
0: I love that. And it's really it really is amazing how where we've lived as individuals, you know, even if it's a different part of the same city or like in the US, if you live in a different state, it really does influence your ability or your like your writing just as a storyteller. So that's really cool. I do want to ask, though, because you do travel back to China. Um, Quite a bit. And China is one of the top countries I want to visit because I love to travel. So I got to pick your brain. Where are your favorite places to go? What are your favorite things to do? What's your favorite food to eat while you're there? I need all the recommendations.
1: I love this. Um, I feel like I could go on forever. But um, so I'm from Beijing. um, So my heart's always going to be a little biased towards there. Um, Okay, fair. I think Beijing is, you know, there's the Great Wall. There there are just so many historical landmarks um, to visit there. Um, And I would definitely, one of my favorite dishes is Peking duck. I love it. There's, I feel like there's no equivalent that I've found in the U.S. yet. So I feel like you've got to try that food. Um, Outside of Beijing, obviously Shanghai. um, You get to the south and it's beautiful. It's like more more of a delicate feeling. Um, And once you get out of the major metropolitan areas, you can go to like the rivers and like the waters and the mountains um, of the South. And there's so many beautiful landscapes um, in China. So I think, yeah, Beijing, Shanghai, and then other areas like uh, Suzhou, um, and especially in the South, it's it's just so beautiful all around.
0: Well, hopefully, eventually, I will go. And when I do, I may have to pick your brain. I may have to slide definitely. into your comments on Instagram Please and say, Bailey, I need, I I need recommendations. With...
1: <laughs> definitely. I will come up with such a long list for you.
0: Yes. I love those kinds of lists because I'm the kind of traveler where I don't have to have everything planned, but I like to like immerse myself in the country. So I'm definitely going to be sliding into your comments or your DMs asking for X.
1: Love that. Now,
0: as someone like me personally, I'm writing a young adult fantasy series right now and I'm balancing two jobs. I'm writing, I'm doing the podcast, and I know that you work in finance full-time. How do you manage a work-life balance, first of all, and how do you manage to write on a deadline and write these books as you're also working? Okay.
1: First of all, I'm going to have to slide into your DMs about this Young adult or adult fantasy. I'm so excited. Um, very much looking to hearing more about it. Thank you. Um, and I, I'm only balancing one job and writing. You're doing two jobs and a podcast, so I don't know how you're doing it. Um, I honestly don't, still don't really know how I'm doing it. It is, um, you know, it is tiring, and I think you have to give up, um, some or make some sacrifices in your personal life. So a bit less time to, you know, go out with friends, a bit less time to um, do other hobbies or just, you know, having a Friday night where you sit down on the couch and, you know, watch a show or anything um, and probably sacrifices on sleep too. Um, for me, the remote um, work style has really helped. Um, my company, we can work two days remote at home. So, on those That's days nice. plus the weekends. It is it is it's been so nice. Um hopefully we're not going back to the three, four or five days <laughs> in the office, but who knows? Um, but on those days I'll wake up early, like I'll be up at 6 a.m., I'll write until probably eight to eight thirty, and then I'll log on for work and then I'll log off and then try to continue writing. Um, I do try to get most of my writing done in the mornings because I feel like the creative brain is freshest. Uh, when you're not tired from a full day of work, um, at least for me. And then I definitely guard my weekends um, like a dragon with a treasure hoard. <laughs> Those are like the most precious, writing times. So, like for example, this weekend I have edits to do, and I've blocked off all my time um, except for this lovely conversation with you, and then I catch up with a friend tomorrow. So, so yeah, I think it's a lot about you know balancing and sacrificing. You know some other personal time um and just being very very disciplined like I'll keep a, a little notebook where I check off you know my progress um if, if you're like a checklist kind of person but 100% do yeah yeah I love my little checklists and completing the check boxes when I hit my goals um oh, cool.
0: oh yeah I am so honored been that you are taking the time to do this. You that just yeah, like so I was, to be here. I was already honored to have you on in the first place, but knowing that, like, especially as you're doing edits, that's insane. Thank you so much for being here. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm so happy okay. to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, it gives you a little bit of a break, kind of a you know, Definitely. reset your brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, let's transition to our closing questions. Now, cause you said that you read romance, but I got to know what is your favorite genre to read? Like, if you could only read one genre for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Oh, my gosh. That's really difficult. I feel like I feel like our tastes kind of shift um as we, like, grow or get older. But right now, it would probably fantas- be fantasy romance. Um, I remember when I first started um writing and um Trying to get published. I just only liked fantasy. I would be like, ugh, like I don't want too much romance in my plot. No. I'm, in, I'm like exactly like you. Like I want, I don't want, you know, a fantasy without romance at this point. Yeah. Um, no. so probably, if you ask me right now, fantasy romance for the rest of
0: my life. It's there's just it's such a good melding of two genres. Like it just it fits together. You know what I mean? It just fits. Right. Now, what is, this wasn't on the list of questions that I sent you, so I'm pulling an Audible right now, but what is your all-time favorite book? Like, if you could only recommend one book for the rest of your life to anyone, who would it be? Or what would it be?
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: Not <laughs> put you on the, the spot, no pressure.
1: I'm like, I'm like, there are like 500 books I would recommend. Um, oh, my gosh. I am like trying to look at my bookshelf and my Kindle. Um Okay, I'm going to go with the book I wasn't able to name just now, the Chinese book Changxiang Si. It's called Lost You Forever in English and it's drama adaptation but it is just so good. The writing is so simple but the author is super, super well known um, in China Um, and she's written so many uh, novels. It's also fantasy romance. It's Chinese fantasy romance. She's written so many of these novels that have been uh, been adapted into uh, dramas um, and they've all just been so good um, there's so much mythology in these there are like monster like hot monster boys and like cute gentlemanly scholar boys and you know there's politics there are different realms and different worlds and it's just It's just incredible. Um, And it's just, it's beautiful to read as well. The way she like captures emotions and just subtly describes them. So I'm going to go with that.
0: This is totally not me writing this down. So I do not forget (laughs) because you can't go wrong with hot monster boys. I mean, come on. I know. (laughs) Okay. So if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would it be?
1: about this I don't think I've written the one bed trope yet which definitely deserves recognition and I would love to write that um I can definitely see like a very grumpy scholar and like a fun flirty girl
0: <laughs> and I like, like it like, there's only one bed <laughs> now would They'll you go, go the traditional would you do the traditional one bed trope or would you do like the one chair or the one couch? Would you, or would you stick to traditional one bed? I think I'll stick with the
1: traditional
0: one bed. I think it deserves re- its own spot. It, <laughs> it does. And you can't go wrong with it. Like I don't think yeah. I've ever read a one bad one bed trope. I mean, I've been mad <laughs> because stuff, you know, it didn't that work didn't out the happen. way I wanted it to, <laughs> but it's still, it's still a dang good trope. It's still fantastic. Now I'm writing what? Down now for my next <laughs> <pick>. <laughs> right. Now what are you currently reading, and what is on your TBR list this month? So I just finished um, two
1: books. I tend to like I do this thing where I want to read like five hundred books, and I ended up I end up like reading two chapters of each one, and I end up reading five hundred books at the same time. i just I'm the same way. This- Exactly. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm not the only one. But I just finished um, uh, The Monstrous Kind by Lydia Gregovic. It's a 2024 debut. It's basically like reading a Bronte set in a haunting, misty, fantasy world with Regency-inspired romance and monsters. And it was so good the prose was beautiful and the, it was just so deliciously atmospheric so that is on or that's the book I just finished Um, and on my TBR I guess for probably next month Um, I think it releases next month is Emily Wilde's Math of the Other Lands I loved the first book and I'm really excited for the next book
0: it's um, a fantastic series
1: it's so I'm so excited, and I've heard so many good things about the next book. So that one, but as well, since I read so many different books at the same time, I'm reading, <laughs> interestingly, for research. Um, it's this man called Xu Xia Ke, who essentially was a Chinese scholar in the Ming dynasty, and he decided to just you know, like leave everything and cavore into the wilderness and roam around China and record the geography and the mountains and rivers and plants, um, and animals and stuff. So I'm reading that, um, for some research. And so that's my TBR for the month.
0: Well, that's a great TBR. And I will say (laughs) that, uh, is it this monstrous kind or the monstrous The monstrous kind monstrous kind so your your uh our chat will actually be released alongside allison staff's chat and she is also reading this uh (gasps) the the monstrous kind and she said it was really good so that's crazy that you guys are going to be on the same like episode to kick off the new year and you're (laughs) both reading the same book so it's got to be pretty good if you're both reading it and you both like it it definitely is it's highly highly recommended now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've ever received in regards to your writing?
1: I love this question. Um, I'm going to go with two answers. First is just get words on the page, like sit down and start writing. Um, I've realized like, um, it's so important and everyone has a different process. It's so important to think, but if you're going to write a book, you have to first write it before you can make it better. And some days you know, writing can feel like magic. It's like everything's clicking, the words are just flowing out. But other days, it's honestly like pulling teeth. Um, You feel like you're like crawling to get to the finish line. But even if the words feel terrible, and the sentences aren't working, I think just having something down on the page means that you're at least building, you know, the foundation to A book, and you can fix it later on. So, I think getting words down on the page, no matter what, um, is the first piece of advice. The second, I would say, the best piece of advice is that there is no right piece of advice for any writer because everyone's process is so different. And what works for me doesn't work for some of my author friends, um, and vice versa. So, everyone has their own creative process, um, and you can Like, pick and choose the little gems of of advice from every writer who has a different process and just make one that works for you.
0: I like that. And that's exactly what I'm doing because I make sure to ask every (laughs) single person that advice. It's a little self serving, but it's, (laughs) it's interesting to hear. And I get little bits from each person. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now, if you weren't an author and you could do anything in the world, money didn't matter, qualifications didn't matter, what would you do for a living?
1: Oh my gosh um this is being an author is usually my answer to to this question when I'm asked um I think I would be some kind of a historian um or museum curator for Chinese history like I would just love to live somewhere like in the south in like a in like a nice um museum by a river, um, just, you know, dusting down some ancient artifacts and just reading the history that goes with them.
0: That's, that's a good answer. I like that answer. Now, if you could invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would it be?
1: I thought about this question and I was like, wow, I could invite anyone. Like I thought about like BTS. I thought about like my favorite, um, Chinese drama actors and actresses um, but I think I'm gonna settle for my family Um, as she it's so cheesy but they're you know an entire ocean away and I don't get to see them that much Um, probably once a year so if I couldn't invite anyone it would probably be my family
0: that is not cheesy that is an excellent answer <laughs> I was like
1: this is so cheesy but I'm gonna go with that's
0: it. <laughs> no that is a fantastic <laughs> answer I lived apart from my family for all for many years not Aww you know, across an ocean, but I, I understand it. And that is not a cheesy answer. That is a great answer. Now, if you could invite a fictional person over for dinner, who would you invite?
1: Okay. I thought of this and I I have so many fictional characters. I would <laughs> love to, like, my teenage girl heart is still like, well, Herondale, um, I thought it'd be like philosophically interesting to invite one of my own characters and just like see what they're like and be able to talk to them and be like, Huh, like I need you so maybe I'll do like Den from Song of the Last Kingdom or even like Ramson from the Blood Air Trilogy um though he would be like a menace at dinner and I'd have to like make sure he doesn't steal anything while he's
0: here <laughs> that's true that's true you'd have to go out to dinner with Ramson yeah. exactly yeah and last question what is currently bringing you joy
1: So many things. I love winter. Um, Ironically, I love like the snow and the cold air. So that um, I love being with loved ones. My sister is currently visiting. Um, My husband's sitting in the other room and we're just having a day together because we're quarantining from COVID. Um, And then just being able to read books and watch TV shows that I love. Um, And then seeing my family. I think those currently bring me joy.
0: that's again that's an excellent answer that is a fantastic answer (laughs) well thank you so much for being here you honestly Mm -hmm. have no idea how honored i am and especially that you're in because you're in edits right now um and you have family over but just thank you so much for being here honestly it means the absolute world to me and i'm so excited for dark star burning ash falls white to be out in the world congratulations thank you well that's it for that interview so let's dive into the next one My second guest today is the New York Times, an indie best-selling author of A Far Wilder Magic and Down Comes the Night. Her most recent release, A Fragile Enchantment, came out this past week and is the Barnes & Noble YA Book Club pick for this January. Her first adult fantasy, A Dark and Drowning Tide, will release in September of this year. After receiving her MA in English Literature from Tulane University, she moved from the Gulf Coast to the West Coast, where she now spends her time rolling on eight wheels and practicing aerial skills. And she lives with her partner and an Italian greyhound named Marzipan. Please welcome Allison Saft. Well, welcome, 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 Allison. How are
2: you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing?
0: I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. I know I told you this before we started to record, but I'm so excited to talk to you and I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, So A Fragile Enchantment is coming out in January and the book is amazing. I freaking love it. (laughs) So, how has that journey been with this book coming out in January? Because it's honestly, it's fantastic.
2: It's so good. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Uh, gosh, where to start? I mean, A Fragile Enchantment has had a, a slightly different journey to my other books. Um, it is not the first book I sold on proposal. And for anybody listening who might not know, selling on proposal means that the manuscript was not finished uh, before it was bought. Um, but it was the first book that I wrote while I had other books out in the world. Um, so that, that kind of comes with its own set of, uh, I I don't know, just pressure, just knowing that you have people to disappoint or, or I don't know, maybe even delight for looking at it positively, but, um, yeah, it's been great. And it's, uh, it's also been a a very different sort of book from my other ones which are a little broodier shall we say so um it's definitely a breath breath of fresh air but I am so excited for people to read it I cannot even tell you it's
0: I'm not okay so I will admit that I am not usually like a Regency kind of inspired fantasy person but there's something so magical and so not like not feel good but it's just it's such a warm, just comforting, beautiful book. Like, I don't, I don't know how <laughs> else to describe it. Like, obviously there's conflict and, you know, all of this stuff, but there's something so like magical, honestly, that's the best way to describe it. Um, and I know that in the acknowledgements, cause I did read the acknowledgements when I read the arc that, um, you know, you said that this book got you through some kind of tough times. Like it really, you really fell in love with these characters and, um, what was so special about writing this book, you know, beyond this was kind of the first book that you sold on proposal?
2: Well, first of all, thank you. That is so gratifying to hear. And that's really all I can hope for this book is just making people laugh and, and maybe also cry. Because um, that's kind of what it did for me. I mean, um it, I was writing another book at the time, A Dark and Drowning Tide, which kind of Wanted me dead, and um, I think I wrote that in the acknowledgments too of that particular book. It, it just would not work. It kind of convinced me that I had completely lost my ability to write. Uh, I could not trust my instincts anymore. Uh, that that was it. That was the end. Um, and then when I started writing a fragile enchantment. It was kind of like, um, there really isn't another way to put it, but but magic, there was just something about this book that I sat down to write the first page, and this sense of relief and joy kind of washed over me. That first page has not changed, Um, That I was like, oh yes, this is what it feels like to fall in love with a story and with a character again. it was just a joy to write. I mean, some books are like pulling teeth, like dark and drowning. Tired. <laughs> <laughs> but this one just all the way through, uh, the plot gave me a little bit of trouble from time to time, but it never caused me to despair. Um, and I mean, we might talk about this a little bit later, so I won't ramble on forever. But, but some of the themes were um, pretty close to home, and it was very um, healing and uh, I don't know, meaningful to have a chance to explore them. So I
0: want I do want to ask, because if I don't ask this now, I'll completely forget to ask. But I do want to know why did you want to become a writer and how did that happen?
2: Oh, boy. Um, See, I don't know if I ever wanted necessarily to become a writer. It was something that I did as a kid, but it was sort of part of the fabric of my social life it was my social life. Um, I was probably 10 or 11 when I first started writing I was on Neopets at the time. uh, I don't know any of you out there on the Neopets roleplay forums, we might have crossed paths. Um, And then I got into warrior cats guilds. That was the big thing for me. Um, And then from there, I graduated to shamefully, Naruto role play. But all that is to say, it was just kind of like what I did when I got home from school and it was never really a career aspiration for me. Uh, And in fact, when I got to college, I stopped writing for quite a while. I went to school for English, but I really fell in love with literary criticism and kind of thought that I would become literary critic or or a professor. And I went to grad school. Um, I took a couple of fiction writing workshops, but it was just kind of something like, oh, childish whimsy can entertain this a little bit. And then I think it was sometime in my master's program, I was studying for the GRE, which fortunately I think many schools have done away with, but my sympathies to you if you've taken this horrible exam. Uh, and I even took the GRE and sometime after that, before I even began applying to PhD programs, I thought to myself, I, I don't wanna do this. And I, I don't really know if there was a turning point for me. I, if there was, I can't quite remember it, but I just had this revelation that maybe part of it was that my husband also wanted to do PhD programs and I was grappling with the, like, oh my God, what, what if we end up on programs on opposite sides of the country? What if we're competing with each other? This is awful. But something in my soul just was like, Alison, you would much rather write fiction than analyze it. Uh, And I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. So how about I apply to MFA programs instead? Um, And then I wrote a couple of short stories and I was like, I'm not really any good at this. And also my roots were so uh, grounded in, in speculative fiction and, while literary fiction does have, uh, these days, a lot of elements of speculative fiction, I was much more interested in the uh, kind of swoonier stuff that um, probably would not make my application especially impressive. So I decided to just forego all dreams of academia. I graduated by master's program. I started working at an investment bank. And there I started researching the world of traditional publishing. And uh, here we are. <laughs> well, so why
0: young adult? I mean, I know you're writing, you've written an adult, and we'll talk to that. We'll speak to that after. But for the majority, the majority of your books so far, the ones that have been published, they are young adult. So why young adult and why fantasy?
2: I mean, I guess the fantasy element kind of to my former rambly backstory there. It's just always kind of been, for as long as I've been reading and writing, I've been reading and writing fantasy. Uh, there's just something about it. Uh, I love, I mean, I just love magic. I love, since I write character-driven stories, the opportunity to be able to create entire worlds that are entirely shaped around these weird people. and. neuroses and my whims and passions. Um, And for young adults, I mean, I think that's just kind of what I like when I was sitting at at my in my cubicle in the investment bank, and I was thinking, you know, if I want to get back into this industry, I should really catch up with what the what the zeitgeist is. And uh, when I was thinking of, of what I liked to read before I started reading all of these things for class, I, I loved reading young adult. I was a teenager in the, in the aughts, in the 2010s, and I loved paranormal romance, baby, that was it. Um, and so I was like, well, let's, let's see what YA has to offer these days. And I went into a Barnes and Noble, this was before I was on Twitter, Instagram, I didn't know what Goodreads was, Halcyon days. Um, but I just went into the show, uh, the store and started browsing the shelves. And what I pulled off the shelf was um, An Enchantment of Fragrance by Margaret Rogerson. <sighs> so good. It's um, so good. God. It's so good. Margaret I love this It's Magical. Um, I pulled uh, Girls Made of Snow and Glass by Melissa Basher The Queen's Rising by Rebecca Ross and um, Even the Darkest Stars by Heather Fossett. And I read all of these books and I was just like, yeah, this is the kind of stuff that I wanna write. It's, uh, I, I don't know, there was just something about it. It's like the 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 closeness of emotion to the surface, the rawness of the world when you're a young person, the kind of underpinning of hope, um, just, Aesthetically and and um, thematically, those books just really spoke to me, and I don't know. I, I do think that those books really did form the foundation for the kind of stuff I write today. Um, so yeah, that's that's why I went why and why I went fantasy.
0: And there's, I don't know. Like I read fantasy was also has also been my crux since I was a young girl. um Tamora Pierce, Tamora Pierce. I can never know how yeah, to say yeah. her first name. Like that's. I remember alana like the lioness quartet series of hers i mean i wrote i read that when i was a little kid and i've been obsessed with fantasy ever since and there's something so special i don't care how old you are about young adult books in general mm. and like i'm a part of some books on Facebook group that focus on like why fantasy specifically because that's what i like to read and you know they'll do posts every once in a while like hey you know okay how old are you guys like come on, let's see, come on, let's all admit it. And there's people in their fifties and their sixties. And it's just so wonderful to see people of all ages read this one genre. That's technically, you know, quote unquote, technically written for, what is it like 13 to 18 or Mm -hmm. something like that, because the themes, you know, of hope and finding your place in the world and, you know, realizing who you are, like as an individual, it, it transcends age. It transcends, how old you are you know what i mean and it's just it really is an incredible genre
2: it really is and we can all remember what it felt like to be 15 when when everything that happened was just i i don't know like world ending world shaping Mm -hmm. um and and those are the kind of love stories i love to write so i i fell in love so easily when i was that age um So, I think we're going to talk about.
0: We are going to talk about at some point about Neve and Kit um, and about their love story, but I'm going to bring that up later because their tension and the banter of these two individuals is incredible. But we'll get to that because I do okay. want to ask with you writing Young Adult so far, um, A Dark and Drowning Tide is coming out this next year. And that one is an adult fantasy. Uh, and I know you said that that one felt like the end of you sometimes <laughs> it really it really pushed you as a writer you know how was the how different was it truly you know transitioning from young adult to adult because it, adult deals with different things not necessarily different things but to different extremes I guess you could say and after writing young adult for so long kind of how was that transition and how does it feel knowing that you've also written an adult one
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that I, I initially set out to write adult fantasy. I um, I pitched this idea to my agents, and at the time I was playing a lot of um, Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney, and um, uh, pitched them this book about rival lawyers, and they were like, uh, well, we don't really know about the whole lawyer thing, uh, especially because it's not very YA, but regardless of the lawyers. Uh, the idea itself doesn't feel especially suited for YA, so why don't you make it adult?" And I said, oh, okay, uh, that sounds great. Um, I mean, my my YA books are fairly uh, crossovery, I would say, so I don't know that it was as huge of a leap as it would have been if my primary audience was younger teens or if I wrote middle grade, for example, um, but I think to your point, there's just while YA has this, I, I find it very difficult to articulate the, the difference between YA and adult, and I, w- I would love to hear your thoughts on this too. But for me, it does seem like some of it is like that element of hopefulness. And in my YA novels, I, I always aim to give my readers someplace soft to land. Uh, just, there has to be some hope uh, and in a, an adult, you can be a little bit bleaker, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's
0: a good way to put it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So A uh, Dark and Drowning Tide, I think I approach the world building and the themes differently and the protagonist's position in the world much differently than I would have if, um, if it were written for teens. I can't remember if there was another element to your question. <laughs> I, was, I felt just, like I was going somewhere and then it just fizzled out
0: just like what were some things that kind of popped up once you established that it was going to be an adult fantasy you know what were some things that kind of came up that you didn't necessarily expect to come across or work through uh
2: yes uh I mean, I think I think part of the reason it was so difficult to write is because I was very much coming up against a lot of new things—the new genre, uh, the, the cast was huge compared to, especially *The Far Wilder Magic*, which essentially has two characters. Ew, yeah. Um, uh, the scope—it it, is—it takes place across an entire country, whereas my other ones have been quite contained and cozy. And also the protagonist's voice is vastly different from any of the others I've written. She is mean, she is bitter, uh, and I think I felt on the positive side with adult in some ways that I could, do I wanna use the word toxic? No, the relationship she has with her love interest is very thorny and complicated. Uh, Her love interest is a nobleman Uh, Lorelei, the protagonist, is like a fantasy Jew who, you know, lives in the fantasy equivalent of the Jewish quarter. She has fought viciously for everything she has, um, and kind of has embraced this role as like a villain that people see her as. She's kind of like the equivalent of the dark and brooding love interest, if the love interest was a woman and also just an anxious wreck. but yeah, I felt like I could really kind of lean into some of the, the uglier sides of, of humanity, like what you do to survive these kinds of circumstances, what the cost of nation building is, uh, the ugly side of fairy tales, like the nationalist violence at the, at the heart of those. I just felt like I could kind of dig into my more cerebral interest, like in a lot of ways, like The Dark and Dreading Tide is uh, very much inspired by a lot of the work I did in grad school. Um. So. Yeah, I guess that 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 kind of sums up the the challenges and also some of the benefits I've found.
0: Well, you got me sold. I'm 100 percent going to buy it because it sounds freaking amazing. And oh, at yay. this point, I will literally buy anything you write. So, even if it wasn't, even if it didn't sound that good, which it. Absolutely freaking does! I would still buy it.
2: <laughs> like oh, I'll trust her. It sounds kind of boring. But just... I do.
0: Right? I trust her. I know. I know she's got this. She'll she's a fantastic writer. <laughs> so speaking of you, just writing fantastic books in general, you have had some pretty incredible milestones in your career. You've been an instant New York Times bestselling author. You know, you've had incredible starred reviews. Um, what has been the most incredible memorable moment of your publishing career so far was it when you first got signed was it when you hit the New York Times bestseller list you know I'm I'm always interested to know because it always it changes between Uh, authors and it's interesting for me to know
2: yeah no that's a great question um I mean there are two moments that stick out for me I think honestly you know people ask me advice about publishing a lot and the one that I, I usually give is that this industry will make you very um, jaded. And, um, but my, my two most memorable moments, I think, are, are the moments of purest joy that I've had. Um, they're, they're very hard won moments. And I mean, one of them definitely is a Far Wilder Magic hitting the New York Times bestseller list. Like, uh, I don't think it's rare that I'll cry happy tears that, um, that, that one got me I I think especially because a far Wilder magic was not a book that was primed to break out um down comes the night was my debut it, it came out in 2021 which was much better than 2020 solidarity 2020 pandemic debuts um but you know bookstores weren't open events weren't happening it just kind of underperformed expectations and so a far Wilder magic was you know <laughs> yeah well it was like solidly like i was solidly midlist, um and i loved that book so much i think it is still my favorite book that i've written and i really believed in it and so i decided that i would do everything i could out of spite <laughs> love some combination of the two to you know give it the best shot that i could and and i um Wrecked my work life balance and spent way too much time and money promoting that book. Um, I I had a street team who I owe honestly like everything to. If y'all are listening, I love y'all. But uh, so when I got that news, I was just sitting in, in my office and did not expect anything. In fact, I think I had spent the night before like crying like oh, I tried so hard and for what and then, of course, my friends, the next I were like you're an idiot I said oh yeah you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> anyway, I was sitting in my office and I got uh, the email from my editor and I think the subject line was just all capture flipping NYT NYT bestseller and I am I allowed to swear on this show. Absolutely. Okay, great. So I think this was a reenactment of a, a, I don't think podcast listeners can see me, but it was something like, fuck. (laughs) and uh, Like I was the only one in the office, thank God. But um, (laughs) I I just, it was just a total like jump scare, literally. Um, And then my phone started ringing, it was my agents. And I just like went outside and I laid on the grass for like 10 minutes, just kind of staring at this guy. Um, I don't know, it was, it was, um, I don't know, probably the proudest moment of my life. Um, the other time I felt that was, uh, I was in a, a mentorship program called Author-Mentor Match, and I, I had a very similar emotional experience when I saw that I had been chosen for that. It was just the first time that anybody had, like, uh, believed in in my work, and it just was a very special moment. Um, yeah, they're they're again they're they're hard to come by, but but when it happens, it is very magical. I wish this for everybody.
0: That's got to be such an incredible feeling, uh, you know, especially like how you said that you weren't expecting it whatsoever, and I was just kind of like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, my God, exactly. and, like, and I don't know. That has just got to be such an incredible, and it's a very well deserved accolade. Oh, thank you. And I just that just makes me so happy for you I don't know I don't know it just it makes me so happy for you and it's especially because especially because it is deserved you know what I mean like your books are like I said they're magical and they're beautiful and they're something so comforting
2: I appreciate that I
0: don't know if that's you know you know what I'm trying to say I I, I just
2: that is all I can hope for I I really (laughs) I appreciate that like They're just ones
0: that I want to like snuggle up under a blanket and like sip hot cocoa or tea. And (laughs) I don't know, they're, they're fantastic. Um, Thank you. No, because you do write these incredibly enchanting and romantic and very atmospheric novels. uh, Where do your ideas come from, especially, um, you know, particularly with a fragile enchantment, because that is the one that's coming out in January.
2: Yes. Um, I would say in general, um, I, I, um a hopeless romantic uh fandom loving author at heart and so most of my book ideas do come from a romance dynamic uh, usually the the first glimmer of an idea is like a particular um Relationship dynamic or trope that I am interested in doing, and then once I have sort of like the meet cute or the situation that forces the characters to spend time together, I'll know that an idea has uh, legs or, or at least will hold my interest enough for me to to make it into something viable. Um, but for a fragile enchantment specifically, uh, it was a little bit different. Um, <laughs> I got the idea, I think, sometime in 2021, and um, I was planning my wedding at the time, and it was so stressful, like, uh, I, I, it just kind of combined all the things I don't like doing, it's like the wrangling vendors and your family and like everybody's fighting and you don't even know why like uh, the politics of it and I don't know it was just really um uh, kind of juicy and um I was thinking to myself like I feel like I could channel this into something at uh, what I don't I don't know but um <laughs> so in some ways I, I like the the inspiration was kind of simultaneous cuz i knew i kind of wanted to do for a long time um this the the dynamic that kid and Eve have i mean uh, i've spoken before anime and manga are a big influence on my work and one of my favorite character archetypes is the tsundere the 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 character that's really hot and cold and, and disguises all of their affection for you behind like i don't know kind of insulting you and, and fussing over you and then like getting really defensive if you accuse them of caring um and of course Neve, who was like just sunshine incarnate I thought it would be a very fun kind of throwback to um like shoujo that I enjoyed when I was young like Fruits Basket um so that was the one side of it the other side of it was Jack the like kind of antagonist of the book came to me and in a way it's like he's kind of a self-owned like he is um just this type a neurotic um i will take the world on my shoulders type character um who has invested everything in the success of this wedding um so he was kind of I mean, definitely not like an, an exact self-insert, but like some of my hyperbolized feelings about wedding planning I gave to him and uh, when I mashed them all together um, over time, this was was how Fragile Enchantment came about.
0: Very nice. And for those of you who are listening and who don't know, it's Kit, uh, Neve, and like you said, Jack is kind of like the semi-anti-whatever. Yeah. Um, and it does it revolves around a wedding but it's not Neve and Kit's wedding
2: so i'm just going to leave no, it at that no it is not Neve and Kit's wedding <laughs> so, scandalous. I'm just, I'm just,
0: right it's very scandalous but yes. the tension is fantastic and that was going to be one of my questions because the relationship between Kit and Neve where like you said Neve is very sunshining you know she's just this beautiful she tries to be this upbeat character and then you got kit who's grumpy and sarcastic and let's face it he's kind of an ass at least yes. in the beginning <laughs> he's, he's kind of an ass he which is horrible oh my god that, them being asses though and secretly being very good people that's one of my favorite type of characters and so like Get the <laughs> right like the tension between them is fantastic so i was gonna ask you do you read romance are you a romance reader at all because the romance and this buildup between the two of them and then even the romance that know, without spoiling it <laughs> might eventually happen between them two I mean it's really good so oh, I have to ask you me, is that is that something that you read or I do you study?
2: I I love romance novels um I just finished recently like an accidental Raylo kick I guess of uh Check and Mate. Although i don't think that one's necessarily right love, but we love Allie in this house um and um julie soto's uh forget me not so the two most I recent loved. ones i've read i loved forget me not actually like i read it i I'm loved like, wow, forget wow. me not Kit and um and elliot would be best friends like we oh my god they totally flower would. boys i know i read them they totally like, wow, would. <laughs> oh my god they totally would yeah right yeah and- they're kind of like soul books in a way i'm like wow we were on the same wavelength here
0: that's freaking fantastic and mm-hmm. okay so if you haven't read forget me not go read forget me not yes and highly recommend re- yes and then read forget me not and then read a fragile enchantment because that's 100 percent true <laughs> they totally would be best friends
2: yeah if uh- <laughs> the-, the grumpy love interest um but yes, I do love. I do love romance. I read a little bit more historical romance than I do contemporary romance. Like I love Evie Dunmore's books. Um, why am I blanking on the name of it? Bringing Down the Duke. Oh my God, love that book so much. Um, what else have I read? I mean, of course, I've read Bridgerton. I think I've only read anthony's book. Shockingly different from the show. Yeah, uh, but both are you a fan of the show? I am a fan of the show. I, I mean, I, I didn't love season one. Like, of course it was gorgeous and like delicious Regency juiciness, but, Mm -hmm. um, but season two was just like a whole different level.
0: It's, it's fantastic. It's so good.
2: But see, I love, like, I, I know some people, like some of my friends are like, "Mm, I don't like Anthony. I'm like, how can you not like Anthony?
0: you not like Anthony I, I would just, take Anthony
2: any day any day I, I know I just we love uh like River that character Simon. type just the duty bound like kind of chauvinistic I mean he's a little bit like in the books but I don't know I, I I just I don't know what that says about me but I do love that character type <laughs> It just it just makes them ve- just
0: interesting t- I think to me because i love to see the journey from let's face it they're kind of asses same thing you know like yeah. it to finding someone that brings out the softer side of them to where it it's, it's just really they're just really good characters yeah like, i yeah. don't i don't know how to explain it they're just fantastic they are they are they're now ass. when you when you started writing a fragile enchantment did you know you wanted it to be kind of regency inspired
2: I didn't um, initially this book was sort of a, a like 1930s la like Hollywood type vibe but my <laughs> see like I feel like as I tell these stories it just sounds like my agents are like no Allison and that is not the case <laughs> but the two stories I happened to tell they were like no, no they were I don't like think it's gonna work <laughs> And also, Neve's magic initially was um, magical glass blowing. And um, I, I took a bunch of glass blowing classes in college, and it, the vision I had someday maybe. But anyway, um, my agents were a little skeptical of it, um, which is fair. I think it's very visual. It might work better for like a graphic novel or something. But they said, what about um, if you just switch the Magic to something like dressmaking, and maybe change the maybe change the time period. And I was like, okay, um, and I thought, okay, well, if we are, because I really like my worlds to feel like everything is kind of connected, or um, or that I'm kind of building the world with the magic system in mind. And so I thought, well, now that we're doing dressmaking what would be the best setting and plot to kind of showcase uh, magical dressmaking. And I thought, why not the Regency period where, you know, there were these, I mean, it has the best fashion of any era in my humble opinion. Um, But yeah, I I just thought, you know, these glittering balls and, and, um, and, you know, preparing for a wedding, it would be the perfect fit. Um, but it also happened to just align with a lot of other things I had in mind. Like Neve was always named Neve, and so she was Irish, and uh, the Regency period just perfectly allowed me to explore some of the um the tensions, honestly. I mean, th- people think of the Regency period as this, I mean, frankly, literal pastel Wonderland, or like everybody's in a Jane Austen novel going to each other's houses and drinking tea but it was this moment of incredible social upheaval. Um, There were class tensions that culminated in the Peterloo massacre. There was England's colonial projects. There was this guy in charge, uh, George IV, I believe, who just did not care about ruling at all and all he wanted to do was ignore what was happening around him and commission a bunch of um, like bridges, I think. He built like a very expensive bridge in Hyde Park. Uh, All that is to say, um, while I didn't initially set out to write a Regency-inspired book, once I made that decision, all of the historical research I did fed into the development of the idea.
0: Well, and that's something that really I think you were able to bring in really well with it being Regency-inspired, because Fragile Enchantment does have a lot of really incredible themes like sacrifice and like you said the social upheaval and loyalty and um you know there's a lot of those tense atmospheres whether it's and that I feel like is prevalent in a lot of your books mm-hmm. uh the kind of either religious or political um atmospheres you know and it adds a really great layer of tension and conflict to the book um and So how did, specifically with A Fragile Enchantment, how did that kind of weave itself into the story and why kind of those themes?
2: That's a good question. Um, I do think the other kind of fundamental part of the idea that I didn't talk about earlier was that I was very interested in exploring um, sort of what it felt like to be a chronically ill artist and honestly, that was initially why I chose glass blowing. It's such like this ephemeral, fragile, if you will, art form. And, um, you know, I, I think about this a lot. And you, whether people have a chronic illness or not, I think it's something that all of us grapple with this feeling that your time is running out and, and you have a very limited life to to make use of and to leave your mark on the world and to do something that matters. Um, and so that feeling was very much at the heart of the book and and why I think I landed on on some of the themes like, as you said, sacrifice, your duty to your family. Um, and because I like to develop parallel romance arcs from my love interest, both kid and Neve kind of have the same problem. It just manifests in different ways, very, very different ways. Um, they are just convinced that they don't deserve happiness and that they are are ticking bombs in different ways. Like Neve believes that she needs to use the limited time she has to make a difference for her family. Kit just believes that inevitably one day he is just going to to hurt anybody who gets too close to him and so neither of them allow any space for I mean love or genuine genuine closeness with other people um and then they promptly take a sledgehammer to one another's defenses so it was very fun um but beyond that I mean the the political stuff was just something I became interested in the more research I did and like I feel like at a certain point in the development of a book idea you just kind of feel like you start seeing the code in the matrix and like everything you learn just connects to everything else um i yeah the the class stuff kind of took a little bit of like initially the i mean for those of you who haven't read the book the the kind of underpinning conflict is that there's a lot of rest unrest brewing in um this class of uh mocklish commoners who have um, emigrated from uh, fantasy Ireland to fantasy England, and they are being grossly mistreated by their employers. Um, this kind of, initially they were just kind of lower class um, fantasy English people, but the more I thought about it, it's like me would have a much more personal stake in this conflict if they were also fantasy Irish. I'm like, how can we just bring in more of, like basically like revision to me is just a, a, a process of taking all of the pieces you've put on the board and making sure that they are they feel so seamless and like everything was intentional and inevitable
0: so with these themes that are fairly prevalent in a lot of the books you write how has your writing itself and your storytelling changed and evolved over these last couple books
2: Oh, that's a that's a really interesting question. Um, I mean, I think, on the level of content, um, like, my interest in certain themes, like you've said, has kind of intensified. Down Comes the Night is a book about war and violence. Um, but with each subsequent book, I just seem to get more interested in uh, like how that comes about how do we how do we wind up in these i don't know horrible places uh and the the past couple of books i've written have really been interested in in nationalism how nationalism works um and part of that i, I definitely owe to my friendship with ava reed um, who's been very instrumental in shaping a lot of my thinking about the world and about fiction um but i think aesthetically when i was first getting into the industry like how to put this i think on some level i i mean not to sound like i'm tooting my own horn here but like i i think that i'm a good pro stylist and i think when i was first starting out i was really like in a way, lean it like banking on that, like my primary concern when writing a book is like, does this sound beautiful? Is the language beautiful? Am I impressive? You know, it wasn't so calculated, but that kind of thing. But with each book I write, I just become more and more interested in making weird little guys. Um, and kind of like, Humor in a way, like I feel like every book I write, it gets fun. <laughs> I think my books get funnier. I think *A Dark and Drowning Tide* especially is very funny, and I think *A Fragile Jambon* is funny. Um, there's like to me, it's just like fiction becomes this space where I can explore not only these huge ideas of you know the the violence in our world, but also just like psyches of people I find interesting and want to spend time with.
0: One thing I I remember what I was gonna ask you because it had oh, to do with yeah. Kit. It had to do with Kit. Why did you choose for his magic to be um to revolve around plants and stuff? That's cause it's oh. such a good it's such a good magic that you wouldn't necessarily expect a guy, especially a prince, to have. But it's oh. it fits so well with his kind of thorny exterior.
2: Thank you, I think that's that's part of it is to, like the literalization of the the thorny persona, um, and I definitely worked on that like because kit and his brother jack have the same magic in this world magic is kind of um, uh, kind of hereditary in a way like different bloodlines have different powers, so the Royal family can grow these plants. Um, and Kit is very prickly, and, and he's got roses and nettles and um, gorse and all these sorts of thorny spiny things. And Jack, his mm-hmm. brother, who's very regimented, uh, kind of grows like topiaries. <laughs> um, but beyond that, uh, it's kind of goes back to these themes of imperialism. And um, a lot of the rhetoric of colonialism and nationalism is like a people having a particular um, connection to the land and so especially because i was writing about the you know the great hunger in ireland uh, the book, kind of the background conflict is, is very much inspired by, um, by that moment in history when, you know, millions of people were starved or displaced in Ireland because of, you know, a lot of people just think about it as like, oh, potato famine, the, the crops just were blighted, like, uh oh, but in reality, um, it, it frankly was genocide. I mean, the the English came over, they, you know, built essentially the system where um, the Irish were given smaller and smaller parcels of land to actually grow things that they could subsist on, because most of the land was being, you know, developed and farmed, and then all of the crops were being exported back to England for a profit. Um, And because you know, people had to survive, they were growing potatoes, and not, you know, um, crop rotating. And so you know, it was just the perfect storm for this blight to come about. Um, and so I've kept a lot of the history similar in terms of what happened, but I did connect it to the Carmine family's magic. um, in that, like they had the power to stop this, and that their kind of greed, uh, and an exploitation of this land is what caused this atrocity to happen um so a less sunny (laughs) metaphorical answer for you but i think both were in mind as i was developing that system for them
0: one thing i did want to say about a fragile enchantment is the supporting cast of characters is some of the best i think i've ever read oh thank you it's it's Sinclair right Sinclair okay because it's been a couple it's been a bit since I've read the arc um, but Sinclair and Rosa like you could have taken I feel like these characters and especially Rosa partial spoiler alert Rosa is the one that Kit is engaged to it's a whole thing but I feel like you could have very easily taken her and made her the bad guy and made her a witch and Mm -hmm. just this stereotypical how dare you blah 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 you know what I mean but she is such an incredible character in her own right and I freaking loved her she was one of my favorite characters in the whole book and just the the whole supporting cast of characters it's they're just they're so well written and they're they're just handled so well like I don't know again shocker I don't know how else to say it or explain it but I highly recommend reading this book not just because Kit and Neve are fantastic and the story with them and their relationship is amazing but honestly like the supporting characters in this book are absolutely fantastic so kudos because they're oh
2: thank ah, you
0: ah, chef's kiss they're
2: fantastic yeah they uh, they kind of came out cooked honestly I, I don't know it like again I was talking about how this whole writing process was just so smooth like they just appeared to me but Rosa in particular, that I, I really appreciate you saying that because that was just something specifically I did not want to do. I'm like, I do not want <laughs> this character to be, like, I do not want the source of tension to come from jealousy. Um, because, it be, like you said, it just becomes so easy to make these characters like mm-hmm. witches and it's like, oh, they shouldn't be married because she's just mean and horrible. I don't. I don't know, that just wasn't as interesting to me.
0: No, and like I said, it's just, it was so refreshing to read a book that went that route where it didn't make Rosa into the jealous bad guy, like yeah. honestly, it was very refreshing to read and it it really makes you fall in love with her as her own individual person, so kudos, it's, Yay, the book is so good, the book is so freaking good, uh, it's, I freaking love it. Okay, so we're going to pivot to our closing questions. Okay. So you kind of touched on some of this a little bit, but what is your all-time favorite genre to read? Like if you could only read one for the rest of your life, what would you read?
2: I mean, it's it's just got to be fantasy.
0: Fantasy, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, adult or young adult? If you had to (sighs) pick.
2: If I had to pick, honestly, I think I would say adult. Adult, okay. Yeah, Yeah, these days, it's just, it's been speaking to me a little bit more.
0: It's been hitting, hitting close to home. It has been. (laughs) Now, if you could write one trope that you haven't written already, what would you write?
2: Oh, um, so I haven't written it yet, but I, I, you know, fingers crossed the next one I get to write will be this trope. Uh, I love a good childhood friend's Two enemies, two lovers.
0: Nice. The tension. Nice. Ugh. The history. Exactly. And the tension. You
2: get it. Yes. Ugh. Just seeing how the person yes. you once loved has changed for the worst. And their asses. You know, you got to love the asses. You do. You do.
0: You, you got you to love them. Now, what are you currently reading and what is on your TBR list for this month?
2: Oh, I got a lot of stuff. I am currently reading and let me... Pull up my list here so i don't bungle the titles okay yes uh the monstrous kind by lydia gregovich is what i am reading right now uh it is it was pitched to me as like um i think like sense and sensibility but uh with like monsters and magic so oh very excited oh that sounds great right yes it is a debut um there is also, oh my goodness, uh, I've got Anne Liang's A Song to Drown Rivers, which I'm very excited about. We've got um, I have so many books. Oh, the one I'm really excited for is uh, India Holton's um, The Ornithologist's Field Guide to Love, which kind of gives me I, I'm expecting like some Emily Wilde vibes. It's one of my favorite books of all times. Just time, I don't know why I said times, but anyway, yes, <laughs> <laughs> all the times that ever were. Yes. Uh, yeah, so all that is to say, I, I get a lot of, uh, I feel very fortunate, I get a lot of books sent to me to read early. So I feel like all the things I'm reading is like, I'm so sorry, you can't read them yet. but You um, can't quite read them yet,
0: yeah. but they sound good. So when I edit this, I'm definitely gonna take notes because yes. honestly yes. all three of those sound great. Now, what is the most valuable piece of advice you've received in regards to your writing? Because I'm also a writer, and
2: so I it's oh. a little self-serving. It's a little okay. self-serving, but I
0: like to ask people this.
2: Okay, well, um, so for people who aren't uh, published yet, uh, the, what I always say is just write what you feel in your soul. I mean, to quote uh, Demon Slayer, what, what sets your heart ablaze. Uh, I think what... I've learned from my own journey is that for so long, I was very convinced that I needed to be writing literary fiction. Um, and it just, I love literary fiction. I love to read literary fiction. I'm terrible at writing it. Um, it's, so just embrace all of the the weirdnesses and the eccentricities and your passions, even if they're things like blowing. There, there are all sorts of things that you can mine from your, your own experience and the texture of your life too write a book that only you can write, even though nothing is really new under the sun. There's always a new spin to put on things. Uh, If you are published or even something to keep in mind for when you inevitably are, Megan,
0: I'm (laughs) excited. Knock on wood, thank you, (laughs) knock
2: on wood. Uh, Is uh, I love Joan He. Uh, First of all, her books are incredible, but I also really appreciate her social media presence when she, she muses on like her career and her goals. Um, One thing that she has said that really resonated with me is that she no longer tries to outdo herself with every book. It is just an enormous amount of pressure to put on yourself. You know, people are always like, you should be improving with every single book. And in an ideal world, of course, yes, you should be, but if you really like, it's like this one has to be better than the last one. I don't know it just seems exponential to me it's just a game with yourself that you can't win um it's it's all about I mean kind of what I said before about just finding joy in the process and and taking your joy where you can because um, nothing is guaranteed in this industry it fluctuates a lot so that weirdly hits home oh good I mean, okay because- yes
0: like the book, so I've written a manuscript before and I created it and now looking back on it, it was absolutely freaking terrible. So like, it's currently shelved, <laughs> you know, possibly it'll come back in the future because it is a project that's close to my heart. But like the the project I'm working on now, it started as a midterm in my gothic literature class when I got my MFA because oh, I got it in yeah. fiction writing and publishing. Nice And it stemmed from, weirdly enough, a short story I wrote when I was in second grade that I never forgot. Oh, it interesting. was my teacher. She each gave us, it was like during Halloween or something like that. And she each gave us a picture and she said, take it home, write a short story revolving around this picture. And mine was this guy and he was holding a lantern and he was walking through the forest over this little bridge. And long story short, it's morphed into the book that I'm currently like, hopefully Doing last little bit of revisions on before I query. And this book, it has taken like four years for me to write this book, Mm -hmm. but it is like the book of my soul. (laughs) Yes. Uh, There is so much. Like, there is so much of me in this book when it comes to like anxiety and depression and things that stem from that and finding yourself and having these scars that necessarily people can't see, but it dictates your life. And like, this book is just like, literally like it's my soul and it's not necessarily that a lot of people are going to want to read but it's it's like it's my passion like project like all of me is in this book and so that that, what you just said what you just said like that really I said weirdly hits home so good
2: i mean one of my favorite quotes is from Kazuo Ishiguro. Uh i'm gonna butcher the exact but it, it's just the general gist is like this is what the world feels like to me does it feel like this to you too and, and weirdly like the more specific you get i think that's where the magic really is that someone will read your book no matter how weird and individual you think your experience is and be like yes exactly you get me yeah and that, that's the magic of fiction baby
0: yeah. And this book, like this book, literally, it's the one that kind of sets like my heart ablaze. Yes. So I really appreciate that. And it's interesting tying back to what we've talked, what we talked about earlier, where you transition from young adult to adult, like the book tech, I'm having a tough time deciding whether I, whether it's young adult or whether it is adult, mm-hmm. because it teeters on that edge. Of it could literally kind of go both ways because it deals with some darker stuff, right? So, just thank you for yes, all of this because so of much of what you've said today has kind of resonated with me. So, I need I needed to hear this today. So, good. thank you.
2: you're I so appreciate welcome. that. You've <laughs> <All laughs> right? done good today, <laughs> right?
0: You've done very good today. So, now if you weren't an author, what do you think you would be doing for work?
2: Um, I don't know honestly you could be anything
0: does it doesn't matter what it would okay i mean realistically
2: i'd probably still be at the investment bank in my evil arc um but uh in an ideal world i mean my my other biggest passion besides writing is circus um so i would probably be more dedicated to that and probably like teaching or gigging with fantastic uh, aerial silks and and ariel uh hammock how did you get
0: into that? That's so freaking cool.
2: That's oh, so cool. You. Yeah. Uh, I I think I just saw an Instagram video like in 2016 and I said that looks neat and then I googled aerial silks near me. And I went to class and then I just never stopped going. It is so fun. Like, if you haven't tried it I recommend. You don't you don't need any strength to get started. You'll you'll develop it along the way. That's
0: amazing. That's so freaking cool. <laughs> oh, thank that's you. That's so cool. <laughs>
2: Now, if
0: you could invite invite any person over for dinner, dead or alive, who would you invite?
2: Oh I I'm so bad at this question. Um any person I don't know. I kinda I kinda wanna invite hmm, I don't know, let's go with Diana Wynne Jones. I just like love i don't know it would be really awkward dinner for her though i just feel like i would (laughs) hello miss jones let me (laughs) just talk at you for 45 minutes about how much your work has meant to me
0: hey she could be really happy maybe yeah now if you could invite a fictional person over for dinner who would you invite
2: um (laughs) Fictional. I don't know. It's like all of my first answers are like all of my fictional crushes and I'm just like, oof, no, that's, they don't want to come over to my house for dinner because the same thing would happen. Um, let's go with, um, I don't know, let's stick with the Margaret Rogerson theme. I want Elizabeth from Sorcery of Thorns to come over so we can just talk about books and be like, sword fighting too. That would be amazing her books are, they're just they're uh she's the, i don't know fantastic. she puts something in them i've definitely humiliated myself in her signing line before so that always makes me happy to hear though when authors geek out about other authors that makes oh me my happy God. Yeah, Sad so and maggie's day fodder that was the worst so i was just like hi maggie <laughs> hi, <I'm> hi. <laughs> <laughs> don't remember oh me <laughs>
0: Oh my God. That's fantastic. That was me with Chloe Lisa. Uh, I freaking cried like three times talking to her. That's
2: like, amazing. I'm like,
0: just like, for your books. Like they just really hit home. And um, it's, I've, oh my God, it's it amazing. Happens. She, she it ever happens. talked to me after that. Yeah. <laughs> it really is amazing. She talked to me after that. <laughs> now, where is a place that you haven't visited that you would like to both domestically and internationally?
2: Oh, domestically. So, I live in California, and there are just so many places in California I have not been to. Um, I have not been to Big Sur, I have not been to Joshua Tree, and I have not been to, um, uh, oh my gosh, is it Yosemite? Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, thank God. I, for some reason, I feel like there's another park that I inevitably get it confused with, and it would just be really embarrassing if, if it wasn't in California. But that didn't happen, so we're good. <laughs> we're good. We're good. Um, so yes, all of um I, I love being in nature, so all of the California naturey things. Um, internationally, there are so many places I want to go. Um, I feel like high on the list is maybe like, um austria i think would be really cool my husband and i have talked about what trips we want to take next i i just really want to go back to ireland but i've been there already (laughs) you can't can't go
0: wrong with ireland you can't you really Mm can't and i do highly recommend going to yosemite i live about an hour and a half away from yosemite
2: oh nice and it's
0: granted it's been years since i've gone considering how close i live it's kind of pathetic how long it's been since how long it's been since i've been but i do recommend it it really is beautiful it really mm. is okay so last question what currently brings you joy
2: oh um my dog <laughs> i have an italian greyhound Uh, her name is nice thank you her name is marzipan and every day she just makes me laugh um i'm a big dog i like become obsessed with dog training and stuff so like every day for like two hours probably throughout the day we'll go outside and walk around and, and train and it's just like a nice time to just focus completely on my relationship with this beautiful little goblin of mischief and <laughs> whimsy that lives in my apartment um but yes that that's what brings me joy
0: i'll have to uh i may have to pick your brain about dog training because oh I have three yes. dogs i have three and I, two I of them are that. pity and one I'm of them pitied. she is i love this damn dog she <laughs> is she's amazing but she is kind of a heathen mm, so did you happens. ever watch uh, avatar the last airbender of course okay so her name is Toph. all my animals are named oh. after characters and she just she fits Toph's personality like to a t where she's loyal but she's mischievous and she's yep. just kind of chaotic so i uh i may have to pick your brain at some point about Please, how time. to properly do that
2: because <laughs> yes dms are open for dogs and i mean if you do want to talk about your why versus this adult dilemma just
0: I feel like you're gonna come to regret telling me that. <laughs> so
2: no, no. Help me,
0: please help me. I honestly, because it's that's been a struggle with me. So I will hundred percent try and pick your brain. Yes. Thank please you. Do. That's so sweet of you. Of course. You almost made me cry before we started recording and now you're almost gonna make me cry now.
2: I mean, that's oh just my goodness. goal is just to make people cry all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, if since you do live in California like I do, uh when eventually, whenever I can make it to a signing or something, I'm going to be like, hi, Alison, I'm the weirdo in the <laughs> line. Hi, me? <laughs> hi do you
2: remember me? Yes. Well, thank you. Well, thank you
0: so much for being on here. Honestly, it was oh, just my pleasure. It was an honor, an honor, an honest. Oh my Lord. It was an honor <laughs> to chat with you, but just thank you. Like I said, there are some things that you said that really hit home. Oh, I'm today. so glad so to hear that. Thank you. It was, thank you. And everyone, please go buy a fragile enchantment. It is out in January. It's freaking amazing. And buy a dark and drowning tide when it comes out next year. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And before I sign off, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to tune in. If you want to stay up to date on episodes and announcements, please subscribe or follow me at The Real Bookish Writer or at The Well Read Podcast on Instagram. Thank you again for listening and have a magical day. See you next week.